chapter 2, and we're going to go back to verse number 8. Quite often, our accounts and viewpoints of Christmas are limited to a human perspective. Even the first two songs that we looked at were uh, based on uh, two people's perspective. The, the account of Mary, mother of Christ, and then Zechariah, the father, or I guess we could say the uncle of Christ, the father of John the Baptist. But Luke chapter 2 gives us a small but fascinating account of Christmas from an angel's perspective. Angels are the creatures who witness the activities both in heaven and down here on earth. This week I was trying to, as I have done in the past two weeks, trying to uh, lay out a bit of the, of the narrative for you just to put you in that perspective. And I came across... Uh, uh, a commentary that referenced a book uh, that referenced another book and I got that book and I, I read that book and I wanted to share a portion of that with you this morning. This is from uh, a man back in uh, 20th century, uh, I think he was a pastor but he was a writer, J.B. Phillips uh, from his story The New Testament Christianity. I'll read that for you now. Once upon a time, a very young angel was being shown round the splendors and glories of the universes by a senior and experienced angel. To tell the truth, the little angel was beginning to be tired and a little bored. He'd been shown whirling galaxies and blazing suns, infinite distances in the deathly cold of interstellar space. And to his mind, there seemed to be an awful lot of it all. Finally, he was shown the galaxy of which our planetary system is but a small part. As the two of them drew near to the star, which we call our sun, and to its circling planets, the senior angel pointed to a small and rather insignificant sphere turning very slowly on its axis. It looked as dull as a dirty tennis ball to the little angel, whose mind had been filled with the size and glory of what he had seen. I want you to watch that one particularly, said the senior angel, pointing with his finger. Well, it looks very small and rather dirty to me, said the, said the little angel. What's special about that one? That, replied his senior solemnly, is the visited planet. Visited, said the little one. You don't mean visited by. Indeed I do, said the senior angel. That ball, which I have no doubt looks to you small and insignificant and not perhaps over clean, has been visited by our young Prince of Glory. And at these words he bowed his head reverently. But how, queried the younger one, do you mean that our great and glorious Prince with all these wonders and splendors of his creation and millions more that I'm sure I haven't seen yet, went down in person to this fifth-rate little ball? Why should he do a thing like that? It isn't for us, said his senior a little stiffly, to question his whys, except that I must point out to you that he's not impressed by size and numbers, as you seem to be, but that he really went, I know, and all of us in heaven who know anything know that. As to why he became one of them, how else do you suppose could he visit them? little angel's face wrinkled in disgust. Do you mean to tell me, he said, that he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures on that floating ball? I do. And I don't think you would like you to call them creeping, crawling creatures in that tone of voice. For strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. He went down to visit them, to lift them up, to become like him. The little angel looked blank. Such a thought was almost beyond his comprehension. Now, just one man's version of what could have happened. I really liked it. I thought it, and that's why I wanted to share it with you. But this morning, 
I want to look at the angel's perspective. I want to look at their song. If we listen to this short little song, it's really three phrases long, we can hear them sing of three incredible truths. Number one, if you're following along in your notes, you see them there before you. Number one, the first truth of their song. Can't even really quantify them into verses. But I imagine as they had sung, if we followed the story down, only one angel appeared. I don't know why. I would love to find out one day why only one angel got to have the star attraction. Maybe he was the fastest angel. Maybe he was the one who got there first. Maybe he called dibs or shotgun or whatever you call in heaven when you want to be the first to deliver the news. But he got to say most of the account here, but by the time the rest of the angels came, it was time to sing, and maybe this angel couldn't sing, and all he could do was speak, and so he was told to be quiet while the actual song was performed. I don't know. <clears throat> But if you can imagine these angels who had been waiting for this moment to happen since creation began, since their creation, they knew from a heavenly perspective that Jesus, that the Son of God, that the one who sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven would leave that throne and come to earth and live as one of us. They knew it was coming and they had been waiting for that to happen for thousands of years. We see the first truth in their song as they sing jubilantly. Jesus' birth brought glory from God to earth. We see that in their song, in the first phrase of their song, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. I've heard this so many times, and as Linus uh, repeats it to me every time I watch uh, Snoopy's, uh, Snoopy's Christmas, and as I listen to different, uh, it always kind of just runs together, and it does have a, a poetic rhythm to it. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And, and we, if we try to uh, change that up into more modern vernacular, it doesn't have that same punch as it usually does when we read it in this, in this fashion. But they sang glory to God in the highest. I, I spent an extra amount of time this week trying to make sure I really understood what in the world they're singing about. They weren't just speaking words. They weren't just saying things that came to mind as so many of our songs of this uh, era uh, seem to speak about nothing. Uh, they actually had something to say. And the with their first words of the song, they sang that Jesus' birth brought God's glory down to earth. The word glory means splendor. It means brightness and honor and praise. And it's that which uh, is, is makes, it that, it's that beautiful part about something. And so they sang about the glory of God. Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens themselves, the sun and the moon, uh, declare the glory of God. The angel's song here is a version of the song that Isaiah heard them singing when he had a vision of in heaven. I read to you Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. One cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And that's saying on that Christmas night of the glory and the honor that is due God, the Father, for sending His Son. They were singing the same song that they'd been singing for millennia in heaven. Now they brought that song or a version of that song to earth, singing glory to God. And they were instructing men 
to do likewise. If we were to uh, skip ahead to a portion that we didn't read, verse number 20, we would see that it, it worked because it said that the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. That was the point of the song. We sing glory in heaven. You sing glory down here on earth. Glory to God in the highest. And the song got its message across because as soon as they all went away and the night became quiet and it was truly a silent night in heaven, those shepherds began to make some noise. And they ran into Bethlehem to see what was going on. They saw the baby. And as they left and they went back to the fields, maybe they brought their sheep. I don't know. Every nativity scene I've seen has a sheep or two with it. I bet they had more, though. And it just doesn't work with our nativity scenes. But I wonder if they went back. Or maybe they went into town and began to wake people up and tell them exactly what happened. But they began to do the same thing that the angels did that Christmas night. I wonder if maybe the angels thought that we could get distracted in some other direction and mistakenly give our honor and attention to other things at Christmas. And so they sang, glory be to God. I wonder if you think it's possible that people might be distracted during such a meaningful time as Christmas by temporary material things and insignificant events rather than on the God who made Christmas possible. I wonder if you think it's possible. Not for you, of course, but for other less spiritual people, less disciplined people. I know for me, it's a struggle. Robert Jameson said, The angels that night, let it, know, let it be known how this event is regarded in heaven and should be regarded on earth. But it's not that they were just singing about glory to be to God and, and praise God, but what they were specifically saying, that Jesus is God's glory come to earth. It's not just that Jesus' birth brought glory to God, but that Jesus is the glory of God. I want to show you some interesting verses. and It's in your notes there if you're following along or you can turn to them in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 1 says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, and by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness, notice, He's speaking of the Son, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. Jesus is the brightness of the Father's glory. And so Jesus coming to earth was the brightness of the Father's glory appearing on the earth. Much like the Son. We don't see the Son, but we see the brightness of the Son. And we've never seen the Father but those living at that time got to see the brightness of the glory of the Father in Jesus. Revelation chapter 21 tells us that in the new Jerusalem, after he's made all things new, there will be no need for a sun or moon because the glory of God will illuminate. In fact, specifically, it says that Jesus, the Lamb of God, is that light that will illuminate the entire city. Let me read that verse for you. It's Revelation 21 Verse 23, it says, The city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. God's glory is reflected to us in Jesus. And the angels made us very aware of that that night. But then they sang another phrase with another powerfully packed truth. They sang that Jesus' birth brought men peace. We looked at peace just a little bit last week with Zechariah because Zechariah said that, that, um, that the light has come. Let me read it to you. It's the page behind it. 
It says that to give them light that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Because man has been looking for peace. And man cannot find peace on his own. And so God came to light the way unto peace. And the angels resume that narrative about peace. Man has both a need and a desire. But Romans 3.17 tells us that man can't find it. And so Jesus came to light the way. The uh, Faith Life Study Bible Commentary says this about, about uh, I thought this was interesting. I had never known this uh, prior to reading uh, this. I've heard this, this, you know, the Christmas story for, well, for 33 years. But I've never, I never knew that uh, what they meant behind this. The, the angels have, um, they have a knowledge of what goes on in the earth. We, we realize that, right? Well, during the time that Jesus was born, uh, the, the Roman emperor at that time was Caesar Augustus. And uh, the idea of the gospel wasn't first originated with Christians or with even with the, with the angels. It was actually uh, originated with Caesar Augustus and with people who would sing his praises. I read some things here to you. It says, the idea that peace came from Caesar Augustus was prevalent throughout the Roman Empire at the time of Jesus' birth. During his reign, Augustus ended the civil strife and widespread warfare that dominated the reigns of other emperors. Consequently, people erected shrines to him with inscriptions hailing him as savior of the whole world. For example, one was found in modern-day Turkey declares this, the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good news for the world that came through him. Contrasting this, Luke portrays Jesus as the true savior of the world, the authentic bearer and proclaimer of good news. Our Bible word or Christian church word for good news is the gospel. And so if you understand what it was saying there, that that in those days, Caesar Augustus was proclaimed as the good news. The birth of Caesar was the good news coming. And the angels that night said, hey, we've got better than that. We've got the real good news, peace on earth. Now, no doubt those, those shepherds that heard the, the praises sung of Caesar going, I thought we had peace on earth. I mean, there's no more wars and no more fighting. Listen to this. Uh, uh, David Guzik said this. Even the pagans of the first century world sensed this need for peace and a savior. Uh, Epictetus, a first century pagan writer, said, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he's unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns for more than even outward peace. And the angels came and said, guess what? What man can't do, the God-man will do. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on the earth. Not only was Jesus God's glory to man, Jesus is man's peace on the earth. In a sense, the angels were singing of the gospel itself. You can read in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, what the gospel is. It's basically this, Jesus. The, the gospel is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's the good news. Jesus and Christmas is a part of that because he had to come so that he could die. But Jesus died for you and Jesus didn't stay dead. He was buried in the tomb and he was raised from the dead to prove he's victorious over death to redeem us from sin to bring us with him to restore a relationship with god that's the gospel that's the greatest news there ever is it's to bring peace to men but not peace from war and peace from fighting and peace in the home and and peace the most important peace is peace with god 
Uh, Ephesians uh, uh, chapter 2 and verse 14 tells me, uh, uh, let me, let me turn there to you and read that for you. Ephesians chapter, oh, it's right here. Ephesians 2, 14. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Notice, for he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Jesus is the peace. He's the one who came and bridged the gap between God and man. Colossians, Paul tells us, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. And as Paul told the Romans in chapter 5, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus coming to earth was the opportunity for man to finally be at peace with God the Creator. God the one who could snuff man out at any time he wanted, and yet man in his pride, man in his selfishness, man in his sin, thumbed his nose at God and said, I'm going to do what I want to do. Can you think about that for a moment? God created a perfect world. He let man live in it. And man trashed it. God created a perfect body. He let man live in it. And man corrupted it. Ladies, what would you feel like if you had company come over? You would just clean the house again for the seventh time if you have kids that day. And the company comes over and they trash your house. They draw on the walls. They rip up carpet they 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 break all the dishes and then they look at you and say i don't care to say the least you would be a little bit displeased they may not be invited back they may not be welcome to stay any longer than that right there you may ask them to pay for some of the damages and yet on a much greater level god created all that there is here including the bodies we live in and we destroyed every single part of it. There's a, there's a rift between God and man. But Jesus Christ coming was the bridge that said, okay, I'm not going to just let that go. I'm not just going to give you because I'm loving and forgiving. Somebody is going to pay for this. And so Jesus came and said, I will take that. I will pay that debt back. And satisfied the debt that man has with God, enough so that God could say, all right, that's good enough. And he will receive men back to him only through Jesus Christ. Jesus is our peace. Not only is Jesus our peace, the last phrase there, goodwill toward men. You know, whenever I think of goodwill, I always think of that thrift store. You know, I don't think of good things. I think of, you know, used clothes and and toys that are broken and that people who don't really want to throw it away they just give it to goodwill and you know then you go and buy it for a quarter or whatever and so that's what i'm always thinking of when i see goodwill if you if you like thrift shop that's fine with me i don't i'm not bashing goodwill this morning but that's what i always think about when i read goodwill toward men i'm like hey they started way back a lot longer than i thought but uh, the, the 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 phrase goodwill towards men reveals that jesus's birth reveals god's love for mankind. If we were to replace the words, and we can do appropriately, the words goodwill with the love of God, it would help it to make more sense, and it's and it doesn't pull us away from the truth that, we're, that we're, they're trying to, to teach us. 
The meaning of goodwill toward men means good pleasure. It means God is pleased with men. God has some kindness to show. Again, this is the God whose house we trash. This is the God whose bodies we've destroyed. This is the God, not only do we destroy our own bodies, but many of our race kill each other's bodies and do everything we can to make it worse. God is pleased? I had a tough time with that one. I wanted to make sure I understood that. I thought, God is pleased? God, I mean, God is pleased with men? But notice what he's trying to tell us. Ephesians chapter 2 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in, in sins, hath quickened us or made us alive together in Christ. Notice at the, end, at the end of the verse 7, it says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness. Notice, toward us through Christ Jesus. God loves people. God loves us as those angels in the story I read couldn't understand. Why would God come to that dirty little planet? It's not even the biggest or the brightest or the shiniest. It's not the prettiest. There's so many better things out there in God's creation. Why would God? And God became like one of those people? He became like, like those, those little creepy crawling creatures? Yeah. And they don't understand why. And we don't fully understand why, but we know that it happened, that God left his throne in heaven and took on the human form of a man in the form, in the smallest, most approachable, most uh, least aggressive form of a, of a person, a little tiny baby wrapped up in a blanket. So you, he can't hurt you. He can't do anything. You should come. You should find out. It was everything that God could do to say, I am approachable. I'm trying to bridge the gap. You ran away because of sin, just like Adam did in the Garden of Eden. Uh, man sinned, and he ran, and God came looking for Adam. Adam, where are you? Here it is again. God comes to the Garden of Earth and says, where are you? I've come, and I've, been ju- I've become just like you. And I'm going to grow up, and I'm going to try to teach you that. I'm going to try to show you that. I'm going I'm to heal you physically. I really want to do something for you spiritually. John tells us he came unto his own. His own received him not. God's this message that the angels sang that Jesus' birth reveals God's great love for mankind. I like this in Titus chapter 3. Paul again writes to Titus, he says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Jesus is the expression of God's love for people. Alexander McLaren said, the incarnation brings God's goodwill to dwell among men. Albert Barnes said the gift of the Savior is an expression of goodwill or love to people. And therefore, God is to be praised. The work of redemption is uniformly represented as the fruit of the love of God. No words can express the greatness of that love. It can only be measured by the misery, helplessness, and danger of man, by the extent of his sufferings here and in the world of woe if he had not been saved. 
by the condescension, sufferings, and death of Jesus, and by the eternal honor and happiness to which He will raise His people. All these things are beyond our full comprehension. And that night, whether it was a silent night, or whether it was a midnight clear, whether it was actually at midnight, who knows? But we know it was at nighttime, and we know that the angels appeared, probably scared those guys to death. You ever notice every time an angel appears to man, the first words out of his mouth? Don't be afraid. <laughs> That's a scary thing, you know, those angels. I mean, you read stuff about those angels, and, and I mean, one angel defeated an entire army. Jesus said, uh, uh, I could call 12 legions of angels down here and wipe you out. And if one angel could def- take care of an entire army, two angels took out, uh, you know, in Sodom and Gomorrah. What, what could a legion of angels, or 12 legion of angels, this, this earth would explode. And I imagine they're big, giant, you know. Did uh, anybody ever watch that, uh, the Bible uh, on TV when they went through those things on there? They were ninjas in that one. And I was like, okay, that explains everything right there. They were ninja angels. It's like, that makes so much sense. You know, you know, on, on, on precious moments, it's always a girl, but these guys were big, strong ninjas. And I thought, that is, that is probably more accurate. These guys are scary. And the one appeared, can you imagine? Maybe that's why God started with one and still, instead of going the other way around with, boom, all the angels of heaven appear to the shepherds at night and they die and they can't, you know, go see Jesus. They can't spread the news. They've died right there. You just, you just froze them. You scared them to death, literally. One angel appeared. Hey, don't be afraid, guys. I come in peace. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the rest of the angels couldn't keep back. They had to get there and share the news together. So they all appeared at one time. And can you imagine that had to wake up people? Maybe you've learned to grow, uh, you know, ignore that fire whistle if it goes off in the middle of the night. But I bet you couldn't ignore the heavenly hosts singing in the sky. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That night in the field, the angels sang of Jesus. They sang that Jesus is God's glory come down to earth. They sang that Jesus is man's peace on earth. And they sang that Jesus is God's expression of love to mankind. The angels knew the Father in heaven had lovingly planned this night long ago and would finally begin a reconciliation with His fallen creation. The angels don't benefit from redemption. As Peter wrote, that salvation in the gospel is something which angels desire to look into. But the angels did recognize Christmas for what it was. God's glory, God's light, and God's love coming to the earth. And they understood that Christmas was man's opportunity to find peace with God. So they rejoiced and sang that night to an audience of poor shepherds sharing God's wonderfully good So ends our third original Christmas song.